My name is Laura, and I'm a clergywoman serving a local church in Potomac, Maryland. I've had the privilege of serving seven congregations over the course of my 39 years in ordained ministry. And each week, well, most weeks, I find myself diving deep into the scriptures assigned by the Common Lectionary. It matters not that I have preached most of these passages multiple times. Each sermon is written for the week at hand, and inevitably, there are things left over. Thoughts that I have, ideas that I've gleaned from a variety of voices, usually left on the cutting room floor. And then Matthew joined our staff at Potomac United Methodist Church and challenged me to create a podcast with my leftovers. So here we go. I'm not too old to try a new thing, and I'm hoping that in the few minutes we will share, you might find something loosened in your chest so that hope and grace may fill you to overflowing. That's my simple prayer. Welcome to Leftovers. It's October, and everyone is wearing pink. I like pink though purple is my favorite color. I appreciate that people wear pink in October on purpose. The NFL got into it for a, a long time, really, 2009 to 2022. They led with the intentionality of raising awareness and support for breast cancer research. During that time, they raised $15 million by wearing pink sneakers and gloves during their games, and then auctioning them off at the end of the season. This year, they stopped doing that, not because we have a cure, but because the idea seemed to have run its course. Everything has a season, and I don't get mad about that. And I'm not watching football these days, so I really should just mind my own business. But I've never been very good at doing that. A few weeks ago, I passed a man who was wearing a pink sweatshirt, on the front of it, it read, The Rack Pack. And on the back, there was a picture of a beaker and the word, Fill Every Cup. I was five steps past him before I realized I was mad. Not just a polite angry, but fully pissed off. I didn't want that man wearing a shirt about my breasts under the guise of October. Now I was heading into a fabric store, and as a quilter, that's one of my happy places. I walked through the aisles of amazing fabric trying to find my equilibrium. I took deep breaths. I fingered beautiful fabric. I wiped the angry tears on the back of my hand. I thought, I don't know this man. Perhaps his wife is a survivor or his sister is fighting for her life. He could have every good and kind reason to draw attention to breast cancer. But two weeks later, I'm still offended. And I find myself wondering if this is the Trump effect. I remember back to the 2016 presidential campaign trail. Donald Trump, up until that moment in history, had used his power and prestige to be a reality television show star. And in that role, he unapologetically acknowledged that he put his hands on women without their consent as if it was his right as a man to do so. When he became the Republican candidate for the President of the United States, a tape was leaked to the press. 
It showed him in conversation with Billy Bush, where he said, they let you do anything you want. Grab them by the pussy. You can get away with anything you want. And I thought for sure at that time that such a statement would disqualify him from being my president. But we all know how that worked out. In the aftermath of the release of the statement, however, the social media outlet known as Twitter went nuts. For weeks, thousands of women told their stories of sexual abuse. From friends, total strangers, family members, classmates, a spouse, co-workers, all of the stories in their own ways spoke about shame, feelings of violation, and the scars each moment created in the core of her being. Every one of them was told by the offender and others that what they were describing was no big deal. In the United States of America, one in five women will be raped in her lifetime. Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted, and every nine minutes, it's a child. One in four girls will be sexually assaulted before she turns 18. If I added the statistics for women worldwide, we wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. We're women. We talk to each other about so many things, but apparently sexual assault is not a topic we are open about. Instead, we internalize these assaults as our fault. We don't scream, explode, cuss, smack, kick. We submit. Then we make a little box and bury it in our souls and we shove each memory carefully, careful not to disturb it deep inside and hide it under lock and key. Then we self-loathe. And when we least expect it, when everything seems all right, when we are out there living our lives, ignoring past pain, a box lid pops open to display the contents we thought so well contained. The moment of assault dehumanizes us, and we hold on to that as if it tells a truth we need to remember. We accept the thought that someone else has a right to make decisions about our bodies, that someone else might be entitled to use our bodies without our expressed permission. I wonder how many women on any given day are walking around trying to get the lid back on the box and failing. It's an old, old story. One that forever repeats each generation unaware because we keep our experiences silent. I feel compelled to proclaim a different reality into the hearts and minds of women folk. So I've been mining the scriptures for a retelling of the tale, a place in God's word where women can point to a moment in Jesus that said, women are not property, chattel, or prize. Women were never meant to be bargained, sold, or traded, never to be compelled or held accountable for the crime of another. Women were created equal in the eyes of God and by the very matter which created all living things. Women are free to make decisions about our own bodies and are encouraged to keep our minds keen. All right, now that might be a lot to ask for of a text, that was written so many centuries ago. And yet, I 
fully rely on Jesus, and I'm rarely disappointed. So our journey today is going to take us into the Gospel of John in the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 11. Now let me just warn you, Jesus was in a stirring up frame of mind. He was trying to help the faithful wrap their minds around the truth that he was the Christ. And for their part, the faithful were spinning out, barely finishing one thought that sounded like, I'll rest him before the next synapse of their brains wondered, maybe he is the Christ. A tug of war between the believing and the doubting was well underway among the olive trees in Jerusalem. You're welcome to take a look at it if it helps. Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, raising the temperature as he wove a tale about the love and mercy of God. A few folks tried to get him tongue-tied, and so they dragged a woman before him who had been caught in the act of adultery. Adultery was defined as any act of sex outside of marriage, and the man was not held responsible for this particular sin. It was always the fault of the woman, and the punishment was stoning. Now, I used to think stoning was a way to kill someone. I mean, they killed Stephen by stoning, but apparently that was not always the case. Sometimes they stoned someone until they ran out of stones. So they brought this woman to Jesus while they rubbed the smooth stones in their pockets. I'm not naive enough to think there were only men in the crowd, nor that the crowd was filled only with adults. Stoning, after all, was a strong teaching moment. So one man spoke to Jesus. He said, Lord, there's a woman right here caught in adultery. I mean, maybe there was an audible gasp from the crowd. He went on, Moses taught us to stone the sin out of her. What do you say? I think maybe the crowd jeered and a stone or two got tossed at the woman now kneeling in the dusty ground near the Garden of Olives. So here's the mystery. Jesus leaned into the dirt and wrote something with his finger in the sand. It's an odd thing to include in the story, but twice it is stated by the writer of John's Gospel. Two times the Lord dips down to the physical level of the woman who is awaiting her sentence and writes in the dirt on her level, making contact with his whole being. Now that's my Jesus. His decree was not to name her blameless, but to name the crowd sinful, which somehow makes a way for my sin to be forgiven and prevents me from finding comfort in judging someone else for their sin. Go ahead, Jesus told them, but let the one of you who has never sinned cast the first stone. I wonder how long it took them to walk away. Alone with the woman, Jesus lifted her chin to see her fully. And then he helped her to stand and look around. Who is left to condemn you? And she whispered, no one? And he confirms, no one. And I don't condemn you either. So don't condemn yourself. Okay, I added that last part. But if God had known how bad things were going to get for women, I think God would have included it. Because my friends, this is the height and breadth of the matter 
during this month when everyone is wearing pink. Women, do not condemn yourselves. Do not hold on to what others have written on the pages of your life. Tear them out, tear them up, burn them in the fire. We were never meant to be defined by what others have said to us or done to us. We were created to be. Within each one of us is the celebration of the one who created us. There are stories deep and profound that need to be shared from women who seek wholeness. So I say Jesus is listening. There is shame that must be shed like an extra layer of skin. We've worn it with the hope that it would protect us from the next time. Jesus replaces it with tenderness and proclaims that we are each wonderfully made for a time just like this. I am. We are. That's my Jesus. The living waters of faith flow when we who are seasoned take a younger sister's hand and proclaim, you is smart, you is kind, you is important. Blessings, my friends. Have a great week.